the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Uh, The Roman uh, poet Virgil said, um, um, Here two things mortal touch the soul, and and yet there are tears for passing things. We lost a giant. I've talked about him a little bit this week in our um, in our country and in our movement um, in the name of in the person of Bruce Hershenson. And uh, when I read about his passing, I knew there was one person I wanted to talk to about that to communicate and uh, memorialize this uh, great life and great gift to uh, our scholarship. And that is uh, our good friend Pete Peterson, who is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, who not only knew Bruce well, but who Bruce had a hand in helping found that Pepperdine School. Pete, happy um, happy Thursday. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Seth. It's a, it's an honor to, uh, to be involved in remembering a great man. It's amazing how many lives Bruce Hershenson touched. Um, because, you know, I've interviewed people, they've gone to Pepperdine, they've lived in California, Southern California. I, yeah, I, I have about four or five names in my card catalog of Southern California academics. And, uh, you know, I would mention his name and they, you know, they all, they were, they all knew of or were students of at one point or another took courses from or mentorship from Bruce yeah. Hershenson. I got to know him only a little in 92 when I volunteered for a Senate campaign. I got mm-hmm. to know him much better later in life when I would interview him several times back in Washington, D.C. on a different radio show. There are so many things that could be said. I'll start with this. Happy warrior and using another Roman phrase, Latin phrase, mensch. Yes. No, very well put, Seth. Uh, in fact, that, that phrase you say they're happy warrior. Uh, my good friend Troy Senek, who uh, was a White House speechwriter and a student of Bruce's here at the Graduate Policy School, uh, just has a brand new piece out today it's in beautiful. City Journal titled "The Happiest Warrior." It's, be- it's a beautiful piece. He captured it. He captured Bruce well. Yeah. He really did. And and just to your point about not only the example he set, but the lives that he directly yeah, that's influenced. Right. That's I right. mean, he was a professor here, of course, for many years and influenced a lot of lives that way. But just in his example, um, he influenced so many. Uh, it's incalculable. I have a uh, friend here who's a regular guest on this show. I don't know if I'm authorized to use his name in this story. Maybe next week I can. But he's a very prominent member of the community, a political community and leadership community in Arizona. And when I told him that Bruce had passed, um, he said, you know, it was 1985 and I had the opportunity to be um, his research assistant, which I wanted to do. And he told me, no, go to law school, Uh, you know, go to law school. And this man did. And he 
moved mountains here in Arizona. But, you know, that, that too was Bruce, uh, a humility, if you yeah. will. You know, a humility. No, and that was, you know, the the point that uh, Troy raises, and I knew this story before, but again, he was a graduate student of Bruce's, and after submitting a, a one of his papers to Bruce, uh, he arranges a follow-up meeting to discuss the paper after uh, Professor Hershenson has graded it, and Troy comes in with some trepidation about what he's about to hear, and right from the get-go, Bruce says this paper demonstrates to me you are meant to be a White House speechwriter. And then not only says that that's what you should be, he said, I've taken the liberty of sending this paper to my contacts in the Bush White House. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it was done. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's the kind of person. He, he helped was. a lot of people. Oh, he made a lot of careers. So he starts out. Tell, tell the audience about Bruce Hershenson's life for those that don't know him or those who didn't see his face in Southern California on TV once a week. Talk to us about who Bruce Hershenson was. Well, I can say, just as a way of capturing it, uh, I learned on Monday evening from the great Arnie Steinberg. I know Arnie, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great Republican luminary here in California. He reached out to me to let me know that Bruce had passed. And that next morning, I came in here to the office, and I heard two stories within an hour of Bruce. One was... Uh, from one of the other people here in the office, our assistant dean. We get calls here regularly uh, from reporters and researchers that are looking to connect with Bruce about some various subject. And she was telling me that just three weeks ago, a reporter from Rolling Stone reached <laughs> out because <laughs> I love it. Uh, she was researching a story on a USIA, U.S. Information Agency tour back in the 70s that uh, was bringing earth, wind, and fire behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. And, of course, Bruce Hersenson was the facilitator. <laughs> right? So that's one story, right? This is Bruce Hersenson, the, the entertainer, the entertainer arranger, the bon vivant, the filmmaker. Well, right? that, but so that's, that's him, the cultural warrior, too, bringing, exactly the, right. bringing Western exactly. culture to uh, the Philistines. Yes, of course. Exactly. And this yeah. was three weeks ago right. we're getting this call, yeah. right? Yeah. The, second, the second story, uh, the, the dean emeritus here at the policy school named Jim Wilburn, who's known Bruce for 50 years, oh. um, okay. is, still keeps an office here in the building here in Malibu, and I bump into him in the break room, and we're just talking, and he remembers a story. We had Russell Kirk here, as I think you know, Seth, as a visiting right. professor for a year or so, and it, during his time here, he wrote the book Roots of, Order, okay. uh, Roots of American Order. Uh -huh. And they managed to cobble together some funding after the book was published to do a five-part documentary film based on Roots, because, you know, Roots is based on the five great cities and the mm -hmm. traditions of liberal Western thought that, that started in Athens and ended up in Philadelphia in mm -hmm. 1776. Mm -hmm. And so Bruce was tasked with writing the treatment for this five-part documentary that was going to be filmed. And the president, Wilburn at the time, or Dean Wilburn at the time, was the head of all fundraising for Pepperdine, and they scheduled an intimate luncheon in downtown Los Angeles with Bruce and some other uh, prospective donors to help support this documentary effort. And Bruce was going to be the featured speaker because, of course, you know, he was writing the script for these uh, five parts. 
And sitting next to him was the voiceover artist that they had selected uh, to do the voiceover for the documentary, who was none other than Ronald Reagan. Yeah, yeah. And so here was this luncheon uh, in downtown Los Angeles with Reagan and Hersenson extolling the virtues of the Western tradition as they were pitching the idea to donors in downtown Los Angeles. And this is just... I mean, we haven't even gotten into his TV career. Right. We haven't even gotten into the all the books he's written, fiction and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the talks, the, the many talks and lectures that he gave here, the classes that he taught. I mean, it would be his life as a movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's just... He did great work on so many things. Um, and one of the things, I, I remember the cause of my interviews with him were usually when there was some kind of controversial um, story documentary about Vietnam, I came, I, I, I went to him to correct the record. You yeah. know, that was a passion of his. What, wouldn't you say more than anything, anti-communism moved him more yeah. than anything? I think well, so. Well, and, and liberty. Yeah, yeah. You know, his last lecture here uh, was just last year. And uh, Bruce and I had a tradition of if if something had broken in an area of the world where he had particular expertise, which was most of the world, he would ping me and say, Pete, can you put together, can you bring me in? I want to speak to students about this. And this happened to be at the time of the Hong Kong protest. Uh And we scheduled, absolutely, Bruce, we'll make it happen in the next week. He comes in, gives a luncheon lecture. And we have a number of... Uh, Chinese students, uh, graduate students here at the policy school, um, who took umbrage with some of the history that Bruce sure. was reciting, which, sure. of course, was factually sure. correct. Sure. And he just brokered, he just gave no ground. Yeah. But at the same time, as you know, was completely winsome. Yeah, in what yeah the most saying. agreeable person you would ever find. The nicest, Absolutely. most decent. Yeah, so what, what was it, this... Uh, this uh, student of his who said you could argue with him, but you could never hate him. Is that right? Yeah, Troy Sennett. That's exactly that right. That's exactly who he was. And yeah. and but again, it was all toward a commitment towards liberty. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was liberty for Hong Kong. And um, and that was really his his guiding light, and one that he defended across media, across disciplines, and uh, across the world. Pete, did you want to say anything else about Bruce before we moved uh, forward to what uh, to, uh, to to uh, what I think he might have <laughs> to the views I think he might have of <laughs> that I'm going to raise with you? Yeah, you know, there's there's just a great line in this uh, Troy Senek piece in the City Journal, which I think actually uh, speaks to a, a time 30, 40 years ago, but I, I think it actually is very relevant to today, and that is the the posture and. Uh, perspective of conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so here's the sentence. If your only examples of conservatism in the 1980s were Ronald Reagan and Bruce Hersenson, you could be forgiven for believing that all Republicans had a low resting heart rate, a quick wit, great hair, and a voice that sounded like God yeah. after a glass of wine. Yeah. yeah. Unquote. Right. And, you know, there, there just was a winsomeness. Yeah about Bruce, even in the face. I mean, that 92 race, uh, that was tough. (laughs) It was tough, and it was the ugliest thing done to someone I've seen until Brett Kavanaugh, maybe until uh, Clarence Thomas and then Brett Kavanaugh. It was the ugliest thing I've seen done to the most decent person 
it could be done too. And and it didn't change him. No. You know, I'm no. sure there were some, you know, things that were kicked around the apartment there he had in Hollywood, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when he returned from some of those events and, and so forth. But But he just was such... Again, a happy warrior. I'll and, remind, uh, I think he won a million more votes than the president uh, representing yeah. the Republican Party that year, which would have been George H.W. Bush. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. right. In California. In California. Yeah. Um, rest in peace, Bruce Hershenson. Pete, thank you yeah. for sharing memories with us. Can I play you your mayor from yesterday for a moment? Please. Okay. Bill? My message couldn't be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. Cancel everything, Pete. Who says that? What kind of person says cancel everything? Don't meet with people. I mean, this this, words fail me. Yeah, no, in... And again, the what's happening here is Los, in Los Angeles is that some in the media are are trying to make excuses, saying that the mayor didn't actually say what he said, uh, trying to mollify or moderate his remarks. But what you played just right there is straight from the mayor's mouth, and it does. And and that's just one of several utterances of his in the last few days, which seem to attack his citizens. You know. Um, to hold them personally responsible and to question our own ability to make decisions about what we believe is best for our lives. And uh, it is it is very condescending and uh, and and quite quite demanding while understanding as we're, we continue to see here in California that uh, and we haven't seen a, a story like this about Mayor Garcetti, just to be clear, but we certainly have seen with others that these mandates and proclamations are not being lived out by the politicians themselves. That tells me I, I, I credit Adam Carolla with pointing this out, and it's this. The hypocrisy of that is one thing, whether it's the Austin mayor or some of your other mayors there. Um, the hypocrisy is one thing. But there's another aspect that may be underplayed, which is by their actions of not abiding by what they tell us or order us to do, they're showing us maybe they don't even believe what they're saying. Why would they put themselves at the risk they tell us we are at if they're willing to do what we cannot? They may very well know they're lying to us, is what Adam says. Well, you detect even in that clip you just played a certain level of exasperation uh-huh right yep and with that and i think i think I, I don't mean to read too much into the mayor's remarks but it would make sense to me just given recent history here in los angeles that nothing's working right <laughs> you know? right and and the things that we're being told to do the closing of schools the closing of open-air businesses mm-hmm. the the staying off of beaches all of this stuff is is not really directly related to at least what most of the research is is telling us. The reopening of New York City schools that I know you've covered sure. after they were open and then closed right. and then open again. I mean, these are policymakers that that are really making much more ideological decisions mm-hmm. than they are ones based in in science and, and 
legitimate public policy. Well, so you're a scholar of public policy. You've done a lot of research on aspects that come from the fallout of all this. What happens to a society that goes through so much whiplash? It because fails that's to trust. You, yeah, yeah. It fails to trust. Yeah. And, of course, in a democracy, trust is everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what isn't given willingly, uh, what when consent is not given will, willingly, it may be demanded unwillingly. Mm-hmm. It, this is all about the consent of the governed. Mm-hmm. That's that's what this this experiment has always been about. And if that consent is not forthcoming, based on very legitimate questions about the origins or uh, reasons for policy decisions. Uh, yet those in political authority continue to demand or require uh, that consent. Then, frankly, the penalties get ratcheted up. And that's where you get into an extremely delicate place. You, you, you and I uh, talked long, got acquainted, got to know each other long before COVID. And one of the areas of research I was fascinated that you were engaged in was uh, the issues having to do with isolation. And um, it's not as if in January of 2020 that problem was not extant. Right. We are forcing more of it. And if yeah. you pay attention to the doctors, the scientists, the statistics, we're beginning to see the fallout. We are seeing a 900% increase in calls to suicide hotlines. We are seeing drug yep. overdose deaths up by 42%. It's going to get worse before it gets better if we listen to the wrong scientists and the wrong political scientists, I believe. Well, of course, this goes back to the many conversations we've had over this last year, Seth, when we realize the difference between particular policy area experts and broader seeing, broader accountable um, elected leaders. Yeah. Yeah. It's the leader that needs to be able to weigh the expertise from the epidemiologist as well as the psychologist. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Who is able to weigh the implications of uh, shutdowns, whether for schools or otherwise, on the pandemic or vir- virus against suicide yep. and to realize that by pulling one lever, you're not just solving one issue. You may be causing other problems. You bet. You bet. Pete Peterson, you're great. Thank you, sir. Thanks for joining us. I love catching up with you. Thanks so much, Seth. Great to be with you. You bet. Dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Follow that man at Pete4CA on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. According to a new report, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu secretly met with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. The significance of this is hard to overstate. It may very well lead to the normalization of relations between Israel and the Saudis, the next phase of the Abraham Accords. 
The meeting was brokered by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, one of the leaders of the Middle East peace process, and was only possible due to the administration's openness to Israel and firm stance towards Iran. After the undeniable success of the Trump-Pence-Pompeo Middle East strategy, Biden has picked Jake Sullivan as his national security advisor, a leader in appeasing Iran in the Obama administration. It's a clear signal that Biden intends to return to the failed foreign policy of the Obama years. The Middle East is an absolutely vital region. It would be dangerous for the Biden administration to turn back now. I'm Jerry Boyer. 